Just a heads up before we start this episode, we talk about the Ross killed incident. So there is some talk about death and trauma in this episode. So if that's something you want to skip and don't want to deal with right now, then feel free and make sure you are taking care of yourself. Thanks. The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen up. Uh, starting with talk, whatever, till my voice gets all warmed up, I guess. I don't know, but it does. I do like it's early in the mornings and so my voice is all low like this. <laughs> I was just thinking about the same thing before I jumped on. <laughs> I was like, should I just like chug a glass of water or something? But. Yeah, I've done. You turn on my reverb and 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 and, and be like this song. Just oh, <laughs> welcome to season seven, episode sixteen of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I'm your host, Brandon Paloma. Each episode, I go track by track with a guest through every album, soundtrack, single, and B-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon. Today, talking about the song Arc with guest Joey Goodsir. Hello, Joey. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, yes, of course. I'm I'm glad that you uh, opted to help me out with this song. I, not a lot of people wanted to jump at the chance to talk about a real cheery, uh, typical pearl. <laughs> no, I don't even know how I can try to. This is, this is uh, as far as tracks in the Pearl Jam catalog, this is, I don't know about a standout, but it is a real departure from everything else i mean except for the weird sort of uh filler tracks on vitology this is its own sort of little thing but i think it's a whole lot more earnest and important than a track like say i davanita or bugs i think i don't know what about you for sure <laughs> without a doubt i mean it does carry its level of importance and it's ended up standing out to me as one of their or at least eddie specifically one of his biggest artistic achievements in their career so yeah excited to talk about it today yeah so um uh, i don't know if i want to get into the whole story but uh, i think that most people well pearl jam fans but who knows there could be other people who are uh, just listening to this for some reason who don't know anything about pearl jam Oh, yeah. So everybody's going to open their Pearl Jam 20 books to uh, page uh, 236 if you want to follow along. Uh, and, and, and I'm still trying to sound uh, happy and cheery when this is anything but. But um, they, Pearl Jam was playing a festival in uh, Roskilde, Copenhagen, and uh, nine people were killed in a surge in the audience. A lot of people just kind of crushed up against the stage and people were injured and uh, unfortunately nine people lost their lives which of course would be a huge impact on the band from this point forward leading to when they were on their 2003 tour uh, opting to not play the song alive uh, during that tour because it uh, kind of didn't feel right or wait no. 2000 
Was it for the rest? Of, it was, yeah, 2000, yeah, they brought it back at the very, very end of the tour on either November or December 6th um, at the Key Arena in Seattle, their last show of the tour, um, which was rumored to be their last show ever at the time. Um, definitely one of their more epic shows of all time, um, even besides the uh, first playing of Alive and what's one of its longest droughts ever, but certainly an emotional moment for them and certainly, you know, easily the biggest reckoning of their entire career. Yeah, they, this was, uh, I think, at the end of the European, this was like kind of offshoot of, of uh, the European leg. And then when they came back to the United States, yeah, they didn't do that. Um, also informed some of the lyrics to uh, I Am Mine and Love Boat Captain from this album as well. And then, of course, culminating with this song, Ark. Some people have said that it feels like this was inspired uh, sort of by Eddie's collaboration with uh, Nusrat Feta Ali Khan, the uh, Kowali singer, which if you're going to look into the different sort of branches in Kowali, this would probably more be more of a Marcia song, which is a sort of lamentation for the dead. Uh, of course, Eddie worked with... Uh, Nusrat during the Dead Man Walking soundtrack. Yep, for sure. Nusrat uh, passed away in 1997, but they, of course, you know, did the soundtrack before that. Uh, I think most notably, uh, they collaborated on the song Face of Love and also Long Road on the score version. That's like a 10 plus minute of Long Road where they kind of uh, go off into vocalizations and stuff in the middle and they kind of edit that down for the. Uh, the soundtrack version. This song has nine vocal loops, but I guess it's not really a loop if you can multi-track in the studio. So it's just kind of, you can just lay one track down and then go back over with the next one. Uh, but the nine voices to go along with the nine people who are killed. They have only technically, I guess, performed the song live nine times also in, uh, in tribute to those nine people. Uh, the first one was on June 5th, 2003 in San Diego. I was at that show. And uh, wow. through uh, nine more dates on that, Ed has also done it three times, I think, solo, at least according to their, uh, to their website, uh, which, you know, who knows how reliable that can be. <laughs> <laughs> we know about that, yeah. Yeah, and then and then uh, if you if you're looking it up on uh, live footsteps as well, it kind of uh, mentions that there might be 
might, I would say might, be an audience sort of performance of this song at um, the Berlin show on August 15th, 2009. People start kind of uh, vocalizing, chanting and stuff, and Ed comes out on stage and kind of leads their voices kind of up and down. And uh, I don't think it really sounds like, like Ark. That's what I was going to say. I, I, I made an effort, and I'm sure you did too, to, since there's nine versions to listen to as many versions as we have, um, as obviously they eliminated all of the versions from uh, the official bootlegs, kind of as a gesture of respect to the victims and you know to make sure that they're not profiting off of what they want to put out there as simply a piece of art and tribute of them. Um, but yeah, I did make an effort to listen to all nine versions and of course being on live footsteps as that should be the definitive place for everybody to go when it comes to, when it comes to these types of Pearl Jam stats, I did take a listen to the Berlin 2009 version. In my opinion, it's a very, very cool audience moment with Ed and Ed is obviously tapping into the same kind of that same musical part of his brain and, um, it leads into one of their fuller teases of Angie, which is pretty cool. I've always enjoyed that when they do that. But I don't think outside of outside of musically speaking, it it has any real relationship with Ark in any way. Yeah, that's at least my opinion. I, I don't consider it as a part of the as as a part of the Nine Virgins, even as an intro or anything. It just seemed like a an audience improv moment. I don't think there was any any of that meaning behind it. That obviously is you know is showered in all the other versions so also you can find a performance of this on the water on the road dvd um they've also uploaded that uh that clip to youtube too so you can kind kind of see how um at least possibly in, in the later versions ed performed it um like i said i was at the san diego one and um it was before an encore uh, he came out by himself there. Somebody brought out a chair and then brought out like kind of like a little rack unit box and uh, put it down on the chair. And, and Ed came out and there were headphones connected to it. And he kind of told everybody to be quiet. He said, you know, we're going to try something, a little experiment or something. And, um, you know, there are a bunch of people there who wouldn't shut up, who would just keep it. But um a lot, I don't know, I, I think a lot of people were just kind of like, okay, yeah, let's see what's going on. And then he started singing, and I know I didn't know what was going on. And then he kind of 
kept going and was like, oh my gosh, like we didn't know that he would do like try it. Like it's, it's like something you would think is like, okay, you know, it's just a studio thing that they're, they're not going to try to bust out live or anything like that. Yeah. But I mean, I think that as he started going, it's just everybody was watching just to see how he was doing it, what he was doing with it. Uh, I guess in the, in the rack, there was some kind of a looper in there so he could uh, layer his vocals and stuff on there. There's a really definitive moment in that version. And, you know, we'll talk about all the other ones probably, but, you know, there's, there's, there's a definitive moment in this version where he, and, you know, this is kind of true for a lot of the other versions, but especially here, at least in my eyes, based on listening to all of them, where he you know, puts down the the first kind of section of loops and then, you know, eventually gets to where he starts to hit the high notes. And there's this moment where he takes his headphones off and goes right into it and the crowd just erupts. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, they, they obviously were dying to erupt anyway, which was which was a problem before he yeah. started. But it's it, it is a really, really emotional moment. And I'm sure we talk all the time about getting chills in music, but I mean, I'm pretty sure there's, there's like certain forms of like therapy that are like designed around that designed around like anticipating changes in music and getting chills. And this song feels like it is part of like that genre and made for that purpose because yeah, every single time he does that, it, it, it somehow impacts me in that same like <laughs> uncontrollable physical way. So you, of course, uh, we're not a fan of Pearl Jam uh, as this was <laughs> happening. <laughs> this thing is now. Yes, uh... I was. Uh, I was um, trying to think about trying to think about right actual release. I don't think I was two yet. I think I was. Still yeah. One. So um, yep. was it? I, I forget. Was it your uh, one of your parents who kind of got you into Pearl Jam or? Um, in some ways, yes. Um, in some ways. A big reason why it, Pearl Jam has become such an important part of my life is because it was the first band I could really claim as my own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do, I definitely take influences from my parents and I like tend to harp on this, but I, I really kind of try to make sure that, you know, people understand that I do love a lot of the music and a lot of the things I love in my own right. And sometimes perhaps, you know, dive even more into fandom than, you know, my parents ever did. So it's been very much my own thing. But, you know, at the same time, heading into high school when I really discovered Pearl Jam or being in my first year of high school, there was this moment where I did need to truly claim something as my own. And my parents having, you know, it's kind of interesting because my parents are relatively older to parents of other kids my age. And so for for a lot of other kids my age, they view Pearl Jam as um, one of the bands that their parents listen to. Mm-hmm. But... For me, I grew up on, you know, they, they, they were, you know, kids in the 70s and went to school in the 80s. So I grew up, I grew up on, you know, classic rock and, you know, a bunch of that stuff from, from those times. So for me, it was just, it was, I guess, musically, if you really think about it, it was just a natural, inevitable progression. Okay, and yeah. obviously they remember Pearl Jam. Obviously they, you know, my, my dad especially always respected Pearl Jam, but I guess by no means uh had the appreciation for the the their holistic career and their live catalog and all that stuff as i as i eventually put myself into so so as you were getting into pearl jam and stuff did you know about 
Roskilde and the stories and mythology that had happened in the band at all? Or were you sort of discovering that after the fact, like after you listened to the music and stuff? Well, that's what's that's what's truly interesting about this song and kind of the way that I got into the band. So we've talked about this kind of a continuation of previous episodes that I've been on. We've talked about how, you know, make sure to check those back issues, true believers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, if you guys remember back then, I talked about how, you know, I was introduced to a version of Pearl Jam that already had at the time 10 albums to consume. Mm-hmm. And obviously many kids my age um, when it comes to discovering old bands, they kind of experience this. But for me, you know, I could have I could have listened to their music in any order and discovered their music in any way. And I was very, very lucky that my first impressionable moment was literally hearing Alive for the first time. And 10 was my first album. And, you know, I ended up moving chronologically studio album wise. And, you know, I'm extremely grateful for that because I feel like it's, you know, it could it could have been any other way. But I feel like I got lucky that it was that way because I feel like it was a good way to kind of be introduced to the band and become as big a fan as I am. But that being said, kind of what's interesting and, you know, shout out to the band releasing a lot of their boots um I think the number's 186 on Spotify and other streaming platforms. And of course, the uh, deep microsite that they released alongside it, which I had the pleasure of collaborating with our friends over at Live on Four Legs and writing a few show reviews that showed up on that site. So that was that was kind of cool. Obviously, that was when things officially kind of came out on the streaming platforms. But I guess because of that recently happening this year, I don't know if the band was even aware of this. But there were a bunch of 2000, 2003, and um, a lot of the bootlegs that have come out now officially um, on streaming platforms, along with 2006, I think is also on there. There was just a lot of random Pearl Jam bootlegs that were just sitting on Apple Music mm-hmm. at the time. And, you know, 20, this is 2016, 2017. So this is around when Apple Music started. And, you know, I basically fully transition to streaming when it comes to the way yeah. i listen to music on the go at least um i would soon eventually also kind of develop my love for my love for vinyl and all that stuff but you know as far as as far as streaming that's kind of the world i was living in and yeah so i discovered pearl jam's live catalog while i was listening to the studio albums chronologically i discovered the pearl jam's live catalog with the bootlegs that were available on there and it was specifically 2003 that really was where I got started. So while I was being introduced to studio albums chronologically, I was already being introduced to Riot Act's music before I gained appreciation for the album, before I even really got to get it dig into the album yet, really. And I've talked about this many times before, but you know, I ended up probably my first, my first uh, swim season, uh, my freshman year, I ended up basically picking out random boots every night and listening to them as I do my late night homework after practice to try to avoid getting overwhelmed or falling asleep or whatever. And it, you know, that's kind of the bond I developed with the band early on. But, you know, another big part of that was, yeah, getting exposed to Riot Act songs really, really early. And I don't remember specifically when I first heard about Roskilde. It doesn't, it doesn't really, nothing really sparks in my memory as to when I really first heard the story, understood its significance. Um, obviously I feel like my definitive understanding of it came through seeing Pearl Jam 20 for the first time, but I feel like I had already, you know, known it about that at that point. And that was when I got the most context for it. But I guess just through the bootlegs that were coming out 
and its aftermath than the way that the band was handling it on stage, which is a, a story in itself. And, you know, just kind of getting exposed to it through that. And what's interesting about that, obviously, when it connects to this song is since I was listening to official bootlegs and I was being exposed to Rydak songs, there was one Rydak song that I wasn't being exposed to until I had finally listened to the studio album, which was this song, Arc. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I finally got to it in a Rydak context and, um, you know, I eventually read and understood its significance, but it really, you know, that version with it being all of the nine tracks being performed or played at the same time it you know and being a little a little bit over a minute version you know didn't really have as much of an impact on me but it was seeing the water on the road performance eddie's solo performance of it which is like as you said on youtube which in my eyes in my eyes that's the definitive version of it because i think that that's the version that really displays what arc is supposed to be musically obviously you know it's it's that's the kind of the limit the limited you know availability that we get with it in a in a live context on, on at least on an official basis so you know in my eyes that's kind of the definitive version and that's really the version that moved me for the first time yeah in the um in the riot act liner notes there's no page for this or anything and so you know it's just kind of well it's just ed doing it so you assume ed wrote it of course in the Pearl Jam Anthology tab book, it does have a page for ARC in there. It's got uh, some of the vocal harmonies and stuff like that in there. I think I counted just like only six lines in there, though. I think those are probably the ones that are uh, repeating through there, or the ones that are sort of constant, not the ones that are kind of, I guess, more out there and improvised in there that are going like higher up and everything like that that you can kind of tell aren't the just sort of like, oh, sort of... Uh, grounding harmonized Mm -hmm. lines through it so that that's kind of the way it fit into my discovery of pearl jam so it it did put it at kind of a unique place um because of kind of the way my whole my whole early listening to the band kind of kind of somehow ended up building up to it and just you know being a chicago kid and you know i love I, i love all the members of the band but i have i inevitably have my eddie bias and um you know, just my appreciation for his voice specifically as an instrument and really seeing that come to fruition on this on this song, to me, that coupled with its its meaning and its significance in the band's history and their their legacy as artists and how that's changed over time and how they've grown as musicians. It's one of it's one of my favorite things they've ever done in its own way. Uh, other people have also said that the track The Wolf from the Into the Wild soundtrack kind of has some uh, echoes of this as well, uh, particularly just, I think, because Ed is just kind of vocalizing in the song. And, and it also has uh, some organ in there as well, which uh, might uh, presage the, uh, you know, what we would see later on uh, on Gigaton.
you know, I, I can't believe I didn't write anything about the wolf in my notes <laughs> because, you know, obviously I love art. Uh, that's so... why you don't have a Pearl Jam podcast, my friend. <laughs> uh... <laughs> no, that's, 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 that is the answer. Um, yeah, I, I gain a lot from you guys, obviously. Yeah, no, I absolutely love the wolf. And I'm pretty sure when it comes to dream set lists and scenarios that I've thought about and, you know, thought about and written, written down in the past, I'm pretty sure uh, the coupling of the wolf and now with Rivercross existing, Rivercross kind of being a thing that could potentially be done on stage, you know, at the beginning of the first encore or something being something really, really cool. And of course, musically, it has, the wolf has inevitably does have that relationship with Ar with Ark with the addition of kind of more of an instrumental component. So a very, very, in my opinion, very, very cool and underrated piece of that soundtrack. You, you'd said that you'd listen to the other versions, which of course are only going to exist on uh, audience recordings and stuff because they didn't include these performances on the 2000 bootleg series. Um, I, I only went back and uh, went, got the, uh, the San Diego version just because I was there at that show and, and just kind of like, okay, you know, you mentioned that there's some sort of developments or something in the in the performance over the couple of weeks that uh, that they did that they uh, in the shows that they had where where Ed did this. Yeah, so I mean, I have all nine versions written down and some notes alongside them. Um, kind of a lot of interesting things to pull out of them. I will say, uh, when it comes to listening, I think that you probably got the majority of everything with the San Diego version being the first version and probably being the best audience recording of one of one of these nine performances so it's there's kind of a lot of interesting things to pull from so first of all as you said the san diego version opened an encore or was the penultimate song later in the show um what would go on to happen was the next performance would be uh, four days later in dallas texas and it would open the first encore and then you get three openers in a row um three times they perform it as the opener of a show during some of their um, kind of middle of the country shows in Little Rock, Council Bluffs, and Fargo, uh, which is really cool. Was it uh, pre was it preset before the opening band um, came on, or I didn't check for that for that distinguishment. I I looked on Live Footsteps, so I'm pretty sure uh, the way that it's notated in there, like they normally indicate when it's preset. So I don't think so. I think that they that. I just opened with it before the songs Oh, okay. with the little rock performance specifically, which is one of the audience recordings that is still out there. They go right into save you immediately at the end. So like part of the cool aspects of um, Ed's performances of arc is um, I talked about previously how, you know, kind of, especially with the San Diego setup he had when he takes the headphones off and starts to hit the higher tracks. That's one of the cool things about kind of the way that its performance is conducted. But the other cool thing is there's this moment where he stops singing and the loop just plays, right? Mm -hmm. And what's kind of cool about that is the band can transition into another song and the song is still kind of technically being performed. So the way that they did it was I'm pretty sure from my memory they still had the they still had the spotlight on the stage and Ed was performing it. And, you know, he finishes and, you know, lets the loop play one time. And then, you know, while it's playing again, they kind of slowly fade it out and kick right in to save you, like immediately. So it's this really, really smooth transition that you couldn't get with pretty much any other Pearl Jam song. So it was really, really cool for that reason. And then at the end, there's four more performances. 
in which they open the first encore twice and the second encore twice. Uh, the next performance after those openers was uh, the June 18th show in Chicago, which is probably the first and most important Pearl Jam bootleg I ever listened to. So that show means a lot. So that performance um, was kind of cool to listen to because I never, I don't think I ever listened to it previously because um, my usual intake of the show is through the bootleg. So it was kind of cool to hear. Um, that version was very kind of traditional towards like the water on the road version, um, except, you know, an audience recording. So you don't get as good of a glimpse at it. But that one specifically, he he really I think we talk about this on other songs and especially more recently. It's been a, I guess, a, a slight positive uh, in my in my opinion, not worth it. But, you know, that's that's me. Uh, byproduct of 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 his smoking over the years but ed has been able to go really really deep with his voice and kind of when he hits a bass track like probably like the fourth track when he performs this song live it's kind of really dramatic and the way that he does that in chicago is pretty notable but when i listened to these it was surprising to see how much the performances did vary a little bit so it's interesting to see how it changes over time and how you know they went out with the intention of performing the song nine times, which, as far as we know, they don't really do that with other songs. I, I think that you know us over in Pearl Jam podcast world, with all of our nerdiness, probably put more thought into that than Ed does. But you know, he very much went out with this intention of performing it nine times and only nine times with the band. And it was interesting how during the span of time it kind of came together at these specific shows of all shows. Um, kind of once again, example of how the band kind of makes makes every night, no matter where they're performing, a big deal. Do you think that it loses a little bit of its impact that the, the gesture that he made in, you know, doing this song only nine times that he's done it solo a couple times after that? Um, you know, I think that it's it depends on who you ask um and i definitely understand i definitely sympathize with the other perspective being that he did perform it they they performed it nine times and they should kind of leave it at that for me personally like i said though i think it's 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 an important part of who he is as a solo artist honestly and being what his voice is capable capable of and like i said this being kind of the artistic achievement he is it, it is i I don't have as much of a problem with him revisiting it, especially because, you know, it'd be one thing if, you know, like in 2009 and like the middle of the Backspacer tour, they're like, okay, here's Ark. <laughs> that would be bad. I would definitely not be a fan of that. But, you know, he it's kind of similar to how, you know, when Ed came back with the members of White Reaper and Josh Klinghoffer at the at the Vax Live performance back in, was that May? Back when they did that, you know, I think that there was some definitive choice behind why he chose to do the the solo uh, kind of electric bridge school version of Corduroy that he'd previously done in Italy with a backing band and as opposed to the real version. You know, one of the ways I one of the biggest things I respect about Pearl Jam as a whole is the way that they respect each other's solo projects and understand the health of that while simultaneously respecting their legacy that can that can only be met as a band and kind of leaving some things for one stage as opposed to the other. And this is just another example of that. Okay, now this is the part where I'm thinking of... Uh, <laughs> what else I want to say, if there's anything else to say. Um, yeah, it does have a real... It is a real contextual song that I think that 
you know, a lot of other songs and stuff like that, they, they try to say, it's like, oh, you know, it's open to interpretation. Everybody can have their own uh, thoughts about what the meaning of the song is and everything like that. I think that devoid of context, especially on the Riot Act album, you listen to, to this and it's kind of like, okay, what's going on? And, and it does feel like a real sort of filler, like, okay, this could have been left out. This could have been on the, on the cutting room floor. I don't know why they, why they put it in here. Uh, knowing everything about it and knowing what it is, I think is, the, is, is really the only way that you can appreciate the song. I think this is a song that you have to know what the meaning is and and the fact that you know there's there's no lyrics there's no words in it i think is also a, a an interesting juxtaposition of you know the song has meaning but there are no words to glean the meaning from it's all about history and you have to do a little bit of homework to know what is going on and and where the song originated from i i, I think that's just a real sort of stand out in their in their catalog in that way you know that's that's an interesting point of how it's the one the one way you could distinguish it most definitively when it comes to this song versus the rest of their catalog is that it has a very intended premeditated meaning and kind of that's that's very simply stated as opposed to other songs being left up into interpretation i think that that's and a different approach and probably part of the reason why they did it was to explore that possibility um, in a time where I think they felt they, they needed to do that. In regards to there not being any words, I think that that's, you know, I mean, that that's just like a picture says a thousand words. But, you know, imagine what music can do even without any lyrics. But one of the biggest things I was thinking of when you were talking about that was just how um, and this is a pattern that we can see across songs that they did earlier on. And um, obviously, of course, you guys have, um, we, we got those uh, Lost Dogs episodes coming up um, <laughs> in, the, in the future. Um, so there's going to be a lot more conversation about this. But I, I really think one of the best, one of the best tent poles of what Pearl Jam is as a band and how they've been able to, you know, so deeply intrigue um, people and generate such a passionate fan base is they, they play I'm trying to think of a, of a clever way to say this, but it's like they, they play every song to its maximum strength. Yeah. I think that that's what's interesting. I think that when you, when you look at, when you think about binaural versus Lost Dogs decisions and everybody has their own opinions on what song should have made the album and what song shouldn't have made the album. And this song, should it, should it, should it be on Riot Act or, you know, should it have gotten cut on the editing room before, which obviously, you know, it's meaning kind of ends any of that, that conversation. But just in general, I think that the the band does a really, really good job of, you know, making the decision of, oh, we're going to put this on the album because it's good enough to be on the album, but it also probably wouldn't get appreciated if it wasn't on the album. And then there's other songs where they say, this song could be good enough to go on the album, but we don't necessarily need it on the album. And we know that it could be something that fans love and latch on to if it wasn't on an album something about that can can add something to it 
And obviously, I think that a lot of that was just kind of artistic genius intuition. Like, I don't think that they put as much thought into it as we might analyze, obviously, um, because I don't think that they envisioned an entire album of non-album songs or a double album of non-album songs existing, you know, down the road. I doubt that they planned for that. But, you know, it's something that they've done over the years that has been a really, really, you know, true strength of theirs. The, the first episode that I was I was on with you was for... You know, the song that names the show, Better Man, and how, you know, one of the biggest topics we talked about was how that is very, very much a pop song that at every turn they tried to sabotage of its poppiness, you know, like that's something that they've very, very much played around with. And I think Ark in its own way fits into that. I think that they knew that this was going to be something special. And, you know, if they hinted at it in this certain way on Riot Act and then experimented with it as they have in a live context, you know, that that it would gain its own level of appreciation from the fans, just like how they do with with all their other songs and kind of those decisions that they make. Is there anything else about this you think that we need to touch on? Um, trying to think. I think that that's that's pretty much everything. Obviously, there's not a ton of things to go go off of but um yeah it, it is just a pure emotional experience you know it's it's you know it's it's wailing it's pain it's you know you you have to you know there there are no lyrics so i mean it's there's nothing to uh really dig into there but it's something that you have to hear and listen and experience to try to understand and empathize with the experience and emotion that the 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 song is trying to uh trying to convey there's there's something spiritual about not being able to put something into words and consciously choosing not to do that and i think that's (laughs) that's part of why almost why um there's not too much to say about it and why uh this might be one of your shorter episodes (laughs) You know, it's interesting thinking about this when, you know, I guess we're almost about a a month since uh, the 21st anniversary passed, which, of course, is always a date on every Pearl Jam fan's calendar. And for me, it's always a reminder of, you know, just how much joy and how much this band has given me, which this will be a good transition into things later. But, you know, just how how they've really tried to make make a moment out of all that they've done in a way that's makes makes the most sense uh yeah so you mentioned uh transitions oh crap i can't even remember what the what, what you what you said <laughs> but it's like oh you made a great point but um yeah you meant you mentioned uh something coming up uh, a little bit later yes and i guess I did. we're here at the end to wrap up i somehow wrapped us around to that didn't i <laughs> Yeah, semi callback. Way to go! You know how much I love those. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, we're 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 still in Pro Jam thirty year. Uh, I'm gonna say that because uh, it's uh, ten, so it's the thirtieth anniversary of ten. So I think technically it's still PG thirty in, in some regards. So, some um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're really diving so, into uh, that now. That's for sure. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, still, uh, still. I mean, I'll get to the point. I guess when when I promote anything but i guess i can just say still 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 in search of a copy of the of the clear no code and i am very very upset that uh 
10 clubs somehow sold out on a presale within like 45 seconds <laughs> within like a half hour yeah exactly um so yeah anyway they're leaning into that so yeah i guess in some ways it is it is pj30 uh so. but uh well we've been i've been wrapping up with uh people by asking them like ed has asked at the end of single video theory so now i turn the question over to you joey what does pearl jam mean to you so um I can't, I, we've definitely talked about a lot of the themes behind this answer and I know you kind of weaved them in. I was like, no, wait a minute. Don't go into it. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't spoil it. No. And actually, no. And, and I'm, and I actually, I don't think I did spoil it, but I, I just mean in general between this episode and previous ones, I can't believe we didn't get around to this at least, but for me, I'm going to start this answer and it's, it's going to be, it's going to seem like a very, very cheap cop out. And then I'm going to explain why it's actually a decent answer. So, the, what Pearl Jam means to me is actually being alive. And I know that that sounds really, really stupid, but there is a reason for that. So I, I think that part of, as I said, what attached me to the band wasn't only the studio context and being able to see how their career grew, but getting exposed to bootlegs, specifically these, these 2003 bootlegs super early on. You know, I'm a huge I'm a huge sports fan, as we talked about previously. I love sports and I love a lot of other forms of music. And, you know, I love situations that bring people together. I love events. I love celebration. I love that atmosphere. I think that that's a really, really powerful thing. And there's a reason why, um, despite all the obstacles that might stand in our way, especially in recent circumstances, we're all still hanging on the edge of our seat and trying to find a way to experience that in as many ways as possible. There's something that's deeply valuable with that in the human experience and something that's always been an important part of my life. But, you know, I'm an an incredibly kind of organized person. I'm kind of a control freak. I like things to be planned. But Pearl Jam really kind of broke me out of that shell when it comes to um, music, when it comes to that environment with the way that they do their live shows and just this kind of embracing of every atmosphere as something unique and creating unique moments and allowing their art to be a living breathing thing throughout their entire 30 years you know just embracing what they are feeling at any one moment as their outlet for art because ultimately those emotions are their outlet for art anyway so creating that in the most immediate way possible in their live setting with the way that they they have their you know kind of setless shuffling machine that they've had over the last 30 years um getting exposed to that is to me not only as someone who's just super super nerdy about music and it gives me an outlet to you know just continuously explore um something i love over and over and over again but just as someone who had kind of previously been locked into that kind of atmosphere in a very, very like, you know, traditional planned out organized context, like it was really, really cool for me to to be exposed to that for the first time and kind of embrace that as something cool. And now I sit in a world, what, five years later, where now I'm that that kind of high school chapter of my life is wrapped up and now I'm, you know, a freshman at Michigan and living, living on my own in that context and all that stuff it's you know getting old i guess i don't know uh <laughs> relatively i will say um thank you <laughs> that, yeah no not <laughs> i can't i can't talk too much about getting old and uh, on, on pearl jam podcast right now so you know that, that that wouldn't be fair um but yeah now that i sit in this world it's kind of interesting how i've grown into a person where you know we live in a in a time where we're slowly making our way out of the 
pandemic. I say that crossing our fingers, obviously. Um, but at least in regards to our ability to get together and experience the beautiful thing that's live music. And, you know, inevitably, as we kind of knew previously, pretty much every artist you can think of is is ready to just sprint on a sta- onto a stage somewhere. And it's kind of exciting, uh, the prospect of that all kind of playing out and seeing who I'm going to see. But it's interesting how now I stand at a point today when I'm, you know, thinking about what concerts I'm going to and all those things. And I am so spoiled. <laughs> Pearl Jam has spoiled me so much. Seriously, if 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 only if only every artist did live shows this way, the world would be so much a better place. It would be very very difficult, and that's part of it, the band's talent and just how incredible they are at what they do. Um, I just feel like I just feel like every other artist and every other fan base is just missing out on this this awesome thing that we get to experience as Pearl Jam fans. So I guess that that ties everything together with Ark and regarding some fans who, who you know, experienced an awful tragedy um, that, you know, the, the band is still trying to grapple with and always, you know, learning more and more about um, as we are as fans. But, you know, this, this kind of unique experience the band has created of, um, yes, in the cheesy way, I did kind of leave it off with being, being alive, being in the moment. Um, that's, that's truly what Pearl Jam means to me. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Joey, and uh, helping me out with the song. No problem. Thank you for having me on. Oh, yes, of course. And uh, we'll we'll have to have you back for those lost dogs that you also mentioned. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. We'll get more. We'll get more in uh, why were songs not on albums and why were other songs on albums probably a lot during that season for sure. So, oh, yeah. Excited for that. The Better Brand Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Paloma and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenupreno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Better Band Pod. I'm on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you'd like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip. Or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the upcoming season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Joey, and as always, this is Brandon saying, Well, crying isn't going to bring it back, unless your tears smell like dog food. So you can either sit there crying and eating can after can of dog food until your tears smell enough like dog food to make your dog come back, or you can go out there and find your dog.